Good morning. How is everybody doing? I see a lot of different emotions going on. I see some who are waiting for the coffee to kick in. And I see some who are laughing because they thought that was funny. And some who are indifferent because it wasn't that funny. But just a, a wide range of things going on in people's lives and in people's minds. And um, for today, I want to talk about you know, our idea of this supreme life that Pastor Roberts been talking about and um, given me the opportunity to share with today. This idea is something that I saw the title when we, when we kind of put this all together. And I think about that word supreme and I think, you know, what does it mean? Because what is our target? What is the supreme life? Like we know what life is, but what does it mean for it to be supreme? When I think about that word, I think of two things. Okay, first is a supreme pizza. Does anybody know what that is? It's when they take a perfectly good pizza and they ruin it by throwing a bunch of rabbit food on top of it. It's just awful. It's a ruined pizza. So I was like, that can't be what they're talking about. So the second thing I thought of was the Supreme Court. And while this has nothing to do with uh, court or law, the idea of supreme, it's our highest court in our country, right? doesn't go beyond that. And so that's the idea that we're shooting for here is life that is the highest we can think of, the best life. And when we talk about defining that, we say, where does that come from? As we sit here in church together, worshiping God, hearing from the Bible, it's really easy to say, well, God defines it. It's like Sunday school for the kids. If there's a question, the answer, you raise your hand, it's God. Like, it might not be, like, who built the ark? Jesus! You know, it's not wrong, but it's also not exactly right. But for us today, it's easy to say God defines the supreme life. But let's be real. We don't see it that way all the time. I'm not saying that's right. But there's far too many times where we say, I know what I want my life to look like. I know what I want it to be. And I know what I want to have happen. And it takes a lot of different forms. It goes from who you marry or the job you have, the house you live in, you know, that idea of your, your perfect children that you're going to have and how many of them there are and the car you drive, the toys you have. All of these things are things that we want to do, things that we want to look a certain way. And the problem is, the issue arises when, for me, like growing up, I can't figure that out. So what am I going to do? I don't have the money for it. I have to go into debt. You know, I have to borrow. I have to do all these different things for college or for a house or, you know, all these ways we want to have what we want. Everybody's done something like that in a different way or, you know, similar, whatever, at some point in your life. We all have things that we look at in that way. And so with this debt, you know what has never happened to me? Maybe some of you have experienced this, but for me, it's never happened that somebody has said, hey, Bill, I would love to pay off your debt. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? 
<clears throat> it's never worked out that way, though. But really, having that debt and not being able to pay that off isn't the problem itself. The problem is, I'm aiming for a life that isn't what I should be aiming for. It's my idea of this good life. How does my life become so great? That entire line of thinking is in the wrong direction because I should be aiming for what God wants for my life. What is His plan for my life to live the best life that He has for me? The Bible, in, we're working through Colossians. And as we're going to see, we're going to be in chapter 2. God shows us the plan through the Apostle Paul, for living this supreme life. So if you have your Bible, your app, uh, whatever uh, you're using, let's turn to Colossians 2. And we're just going to work through these verses today. Um, starting in verse number 6. Because Paul gives us, he essentially, he does this all the time. He gives us simple instructions, and then he says, here's why. Okay, the instruction might sound so simple, but here's why we're going to do those simple things. Okay, so in verse, we're going to start in verse number 6. And the first thing that Paul says to us there is, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That simple statement is the first instruction there. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. His first instruction is very simple. It's start with Jesus. And he says there, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So these, he's talking to people who have done that. You've received Christ, and that's how you're going to start your, your life, this life we're talking about with Christ. Um, and then he goes on to say, so walk in Him. Okay, and that word walk is, is kind of, it basically means how we live, how we walk through life, not just how we walk down the sidewalk. But as we've received Christ, that's how we're going to continue through our life. And so this first idea can be boiled down to this statement. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus. And that's what he's telling us here. It's, it's so simple. We think of it this way a lot of times. The gospel is how we enter into a Christian relationship with Christ. It's how we start. When we see our need for salvation and we acknowledge Christ has met that need, we can start on this journey of following Him. Okay? And that's how we would enter the supreme life, you could say it that way. But then Paul gives us this secret. It's like confidential, classified, only certain people can know. It's not really. I'm, I'm, I'm hamming it up a little. But it's the way that you started by receiving Christ, that's how you're going to keep going. It's this idea that the Christian life, if it's a swimming pool, the gospel is the diving board. But that's not it. The gospel is the pool. So we enter into the gospel and that's where we stay. That's how we continue in our lives, how we pursue Christ, and how we can continue living and pursuing this supreme life idea that God has for us. 
Look at verse 7, how he talks about how this happens. He says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Those three characteristics are incredibly important, but they're also like very straightforward. To be rooted is like a tree to have your roots planted, to be grounded in where you're at. That idea of being built up is like a home. When you follow the plan, the specifications, and you do it correctly on a strong foundation. And that third idea of being established is to make sure or to make it secure. The idea of walking where you know you have solid footing. You know, if you've ever hiked and you have to check to make sure the rocks aren't going to slide out from under you or when you're climbing up, something's not loose that you're pulling on. You want to make sure it's secure. Those are the things that Paul says we have to do. We plant ourselves and we build it on the right foundation following God's plan and we make it secure. And that's how we live the supreme life. We start with Jesus and we stay with Jesus. Now the next thing that Paul does is he gives us something not to do. So he gave us the first thing that we want to do and the second thing is what we don't want to do. And it's in verse number 8. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. This is a warning. See, he says, Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let anyone make you a prisoner to these things that I'm about to list out for you. And the list, again, it's pretty straightforward. He says philosophy, which we know in our, in our world is the pursuit of wisdom and enlightenment and how we, we think about things. Um, we take our wisdom or the wisdom of others. They're all coming from, from humans. But we take that and we elevate it to an extreme level of importance. That's what he's talking about here. Um, the second one there is empty deceit. That's just straight up lies and deceptions. Our society and our culture tells us lies about these things, about who we are, who we can be, or what we should do. We just had the greatest exhibition every year of this last Sunday. And no, I'm not talking about the Super Bowl, the game. Nobody cares about the game. I'm talking about the commercials. The commercials are the big deal, right? And the goal of every single one of those commercials is to make the viewer think, I need that company or that company's product for fill in the blank, for my life to be better, for my life to be different, for my, how I'm perceived by others to be better, for me to look cool. See, they don't know that, that none of that's going to help me. So I see right through it. But some people are like, wow, I need the next iPhone. I need the next movie. We got to go see it in IMAX, 5D, all the different things, and it costs 18 times more money. But they just, they just lie to make us think we need something. Um, human tradition, things that are passed down based on our experiences. You know, family will say, well, this is how I do it. Your mom and dad, you know, say, this has always worked for us. And so then the kids just kind of continue it. 
And the last one there, it says elemental spirits of the world. This is a fancy way of saying just the basics of human life. Like the idea behind it is saying one item from a row of items. And what they were talking about is like the alphabet. If you, you write the characters out on a page, you're just one piece. So like we're talking about the ABCs and B is the elemental part of the world. That's what they're talking about in this verse. And the idea is they put these things together and it becomes like a religion. I always say this word wrong. Religiosity where it's not based on anything spiritual. It's just us feeling like I have to do these rituals to feel better about myself or to think that I'm moving forward in life. And Paul, Paul warns us here, do not be taken captive by these things. Because what do these things all have in common? They ignore Jesus. They completely leave him out of the, of the puzzle. And there are different ways to appeal to our human hearts and our human minds to say, hey, you have a need, and this is how you can fill that need. But what they don't tell you is that it's not ever going to satisfy you. Okay, and that's where we come back to Christ. Paul says a similar warning to Timothy in one of his, in his letters to him. He says, the time is coming when people won't endure sound teaching. That means they, w- they won't care about good, truthful, biblical teaching. But they're going to go and they're going to try to get as many teachers as they can because they have itching ears and they just want to be satisfied. The idea, you know, if you have an itch, what do you do? You scratch it. And when it comes back, you scratch it again. And if it moves over here, you scratch it again. That's the picture he's painting here, is people are having these different passions and needs that they're saying they they have to have satisfied. And so, oh, this teacher is going to tell me how to do that. Oh, this teacher is going to tell me how to do this. And they just keep gathering teachers and none of them are pointing them back to the bible and to god's word and to jesus so in in our passage we have this list and the bible tells us specifically see to it that no one takes you captive do not let this happen because these are not according to christ so we to seek out the truth that is found in the Bible, what that means for our lives. And again, we start with Christ and we stay with Christ. And it always, it's one of those things, like when you start talking about it, Paul lays these things out so simply, like how do I struggle with this? Why does it seem like it's so difficult to stay on track with following Jesus through the days of my life, like even in a given week. And I think the biggest thing for me is we forget the why behind it. Why would we do that? Why do we want to do that? Sometimes we just flat out ignore it. Or we say, I know I should do this, but I'd rather do it my way. That just, it looks more fun. More people will like me. And whatever that, however that works out for, for each of us, it's, it's always, it's different for our experiences. But the third thing here is Paul's going to tell us why we should do this. And he says, base your life 
on what Jesus has already done for you. Okay, and I think that's, when I say we forget it or we ignore it, we just basically take what Christ has done for us and we, we take it, pretend it's this fear, I guess, and we just set it to the side and we say, I'm going to keep living my life now. Like, this is over here. It's, I have it if, if I need it, but I'm going to keep going my way right now. We don't base our decision to follow Christ on unknowns or question marks, you know, he's already done it. The Bible tells us what that is. And it's a reminder of the price that he paid and the love that was shown in the gospel. So, again, he gives us these two instructions and comes back. Remember, Paul had a legal background, so he's going to say, here's why, and he's going to show all the evidence. And so we're going we're gonna to march right through this. So starting in verse 9, he says, For in him, talking about Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The physical incarnation of God himself is Jesus. And he's the head of all rule and authority. It's the foundational principle of the gospel. Jesus is God. That has to be true for any of this to matter. And as if that wasn't enough to, to say, oh, well, Jesus, he's God. I, I should pursue him. He continues, verse 10. In him we have been filled, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So he's not talking about anything physical. He's talking about a spiritual circumcision where we're taking our broken, sinful nature and setting that aside away from us in order to follow Christ. So he's filled us. He's spiritually separated us. And look at this little switch that occurs here. Those last couple of things, being filled or being spiritually circumcised, it says we were, those happened in him. In him or because of him. But check out what happens in verse number, sorry, number 11, nope, 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him. These are not just things that happen because of him. These are parts of this whole transformation that we get to participate in. Think about that. Like we talk about, Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. Like the, just the, the facts of that statement. But as believers, we're choosing, we get to participate in that with him so that we can be changed. He didn't need to be filled. He didn't need to be separated spiritually from his sin. He didn't have sin. And so just in working that out with him, we're allowed to do that and participate in that. And then Paul goes on and gives us one more layer. He says, You who were dead in your trespasses and that uncircumcision of your flesh, because we had not put off the broken sinful flesh before that. We were dead in our sin and we had no hope. And even though we were dead, 
God made us alive together with him. There's that word with again. So we're made alive through the gospel. How did God do that? Look, if, if you would, in, in verse 13, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He's forgiven our sins. That's how he's done it. But how has he forgiven our sins? Keep reading. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. He canceled our debt. Well, okay, but how did he do that? He set it aside. Okay, he took our debt and just got rid of it. How did he do that, though? Nailing it to the cross. He picked up this record of our debt, all of our sin, and he handed it to Jesus. And Jesus takes it, and is holding it as, you, you picture this, as the nail goes through the debt, through his hand and into the cross. And that debt is paid for on the cross. The full price of our entire sin debt. And because of that, verse 15 is true. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. If you notice, that last one is back to in him. Because the triumph is not ours. The victory is his. We get to just be a part of it because of him. And so it's incredible the way that Paul lays this out. He disarmed the rulers. He took away the one weapon that Satan has to use against us. And that's our guilt and the shame of our sin. He paid for all of that. And Satan has nothing to attack us with now. And what happens is we get wrapped up in the pressure or the guilt. We let it, we let it infiltrate us when it has no power. We give it power. Satan has nothing on our sin to use against us. It's because we feel bad about it. We forget what Christ has done. And so God took away that weapon when Christ died on the cross and paid that debt for our sin. This is the only way that God could remove our sin. The only way to restore the relationship between Him and any of us that would believe. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn this. We can't do anything to deserve it. And it's, it's really that simple. And I think why human brains struggle with that is because we want a checkbox. We want a list, you know, to-do list. We want steps or we want a level to achieve. We want something to say, I accomplished this. And it's the only thing in the world where we can't do that. We can never do anything good enough to achieve this. And God knew that. And so he sent this, his son to die for our sins and to be buried and he rose again. And God paid this great price and did all of these things in order to make us alive again. Um, the, the tunnel, there's a, a foundation called the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. It was started in 2001. Anytime we hear that year, we kind of know where we're headed, right? Um, in the memory of a man named Stephen Siller. He was a child who uh, as a child, I'm sorry, he lost both of his parents within a year and a half of each other. So he was raised by his siblings. 
and he grew up to be a dedicated husband, father of five, and a firefighter who was assigned to Brooklyn Squad 1. On the morning of September 11th, he had just finished his shift, so he just finished his shift in the morning, and he's on the way to play golf with his brothers when he hears over the scanner that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. So he hears that and he calls his wife, says, can you tell my brothers I'll catch up with them, I gotta go. And he returned and got his gear and drove back to head to the World Trade Center in his own truck. But the entrance to the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel was already closed for security. Um, But determined to carry out his duty, he strapped all of his gear, 60 pounds worth of stuff on it, and raced on foot through the tunnel. Has anybody ever heard that story before? The firemen running through the tunnel because they couldn't get through. He ran all the way there to the Twin Towers where ultimately he gave up his life while saving others. The foundation, though, was started in order to honor him, to support catastrophic, catastrophically injured military men and women and first responders and their families, or the, the families of fallen first responders or Gold Star families people who died in service. The way they do this is by building homes and paying off mortgages for these families. If you think about it, a first responder or someone in our military, there's some of the people, the, the sacrifices they make, as far as we can you know, label it on our human level, that's somebody who deserves a debt to be paid off. You know, all the stuff that they go through, the difficulty that families have, especially then when they are ultimately killed in action, in service. So, everything that they've done, and for a foundation to come and say, we're going to pay that debt for you. It's just, it's an incredible thought, because, like, who doesn't think that they deserve that? Like, who's going to stand up and say, we shouldn't pay that debt? You know, like, everybody agrees that that's something that should happen. But consider our sin debt and the position we're in. So when we put it that way, we deserve nothing. Because of our sin, the Bible says we deserve one thing, and that's death. But God, those two words, But God showed his love for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were still running away from God, while we were still breaking his law, sinning against him, he said, you know what? I'm going to send Jesus to die for their sin. We don't deserve any of that. There's nothing we could do to earn it. But he did that so that we could be made alive again. So we could be made alive together with Christ. And that is why we can live the supreme life that we've been talking about. Because we've been made alive. We talk about how can we do that? What does it look like? It's often different for everybody. Because I'm at a different spot in my life. 
then Luke is at a different spot in his life, then Dean is at a different spot. It just it might look different. It comes out a little different. But think about where we're at and think about the world we're living in and what's going on around us. There's so many reports of increased drug use and substance use and uh, crime just everywhere and mental illness and depression, just all these things, murder, suicide, they all just keep going up. Nothing in this world is helping that. Ultimately, I think people don't know what to do. Life is hard. I think we would all agree with that. And there's just no easy way to fix it. And so basically people have no hope. And they turn to these things to try to fix whatever they can in their lives. That's the exact opposite of someone who is alive in Christ. That's exactly the opposite of what we should look like. Christ gives us hope because we can, I'm sorry, we have hope so that we can live each day in light of the gospel. Our sins are forgiven and there's nothing that Satan can do against us. He can distract us. He can, he can slow us down or try to pull our focus off of what we need to do. But he can't hold our sin against us anymore. It doesn't have to stop us. And that's all because of Jesus. We don't have to make it through every day or survive. We just have to start with Christ and stay with Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus wants us. He came so that we would have life. We would be made alive. And that our life, we would live it more abundantly. The Bible also tells us that our lives are like a vapor. Here one moment and gone the next. But no matter what happens here on earth as we, we age, you know, you start to reach certain ages where things are just falling apart, you know. But we're promised not just this life in the gospel, but we have this hope of eternity behind all of it. This eternity in heaven where we get to share in our faith and in our love, in our relationship with God. We get to see Him, we get to be with Christ and with the family and loved ones that have gone before us. And that promise is just such a sweet blessing that it should encourage us to continue on the path that we're on and to stay with Jesus. So the last question just to, to end on for each of you is, where are you at? You know, where are you at with these things? If you haven't ever started with Jesus, there's one word in the Bible that is so just precious to me. It's in the middle of John 3.16, and that word is whoever. Everything that we talked about today, about Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection to give us life, it's not for certain people. There's not a limit. There's not guidelines you have to meet to get in. It says whoever. 
God did all of that for whoever that would believe on him, that they wouldn't perish, but that they would have everlasting life. Jesus did it all already. So I would invite you, if you're curious, what, what does that mean to start with Jesus? What does all of this mean for my life? Please seek me out, Pastor Robert, Pastor Jay, anytime after the service. If you don't want to do it while people are around, wait here for everyone to leave. Call us, text us, do something. Because this is the one thing that can help us to live that life we've been talking about. And if you've started with Jesus... This is a simple sentence, I admit, but stay with them. Stay with it. Don't lose heart. The Bible tells us to be faithful and to follow after him, to walk after him. Avoid these ideas and these things that the world throws at us that don't start with Jesus. Stay with him, start with him, and stay with him because of all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please shoot us an email at info at mybethel.cc.